worthy is the Lord. Worthy is our God. Lord, we're so grateful for your freedom. So grateful that who the Son has set free is free indeed. So open your word to us today, O God. Speak. Give us ears to hear. Let it fall on good ground to bring forth hundredfold fruit. Your return. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, we read a history of many that have been thrown in prison for their stance and belief in Jesus Christ. And we read today, in the present, those that are still in shackles and chains for refusing to bow their knee. You know, there is a the confession of faith in Islam is that you have to confess that Allah is the true God. And by doing so, that basically is their equi- uh, the equivalent of a confession of faith or being, in, they don't use this terminology, of course, but that would be the equivalent of us you know, believing in Jesus and being born again. All you have to do is basically, there's a, a phrase, I don't memorize it, I don't want to know it, honestly. But you just basically have to declare that there is but one God, and that's Allah. Gretchen's cousin, who is from Alta, came to Pensacola back in, during the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, back in, the late 90s, early 2000s, whenever that was. The Lord called him, gripped his heart, called him to, a, uh, to missions in northern Iraq. So that's where he is now. and He has a, a small training school there and people all from all over the Middle East come and partake there. And, but he was in Jerusalem and he was confronted at the Dome of the Rock. And one of the Muslims there said, all you have to do, he said, he asked if he could go into the Dome of the Rock, and he said, are you Muslim? And he said, no. He said, well, all you have to do is confess, and then you can go in. And he said, well, I'm not willing to do that. And he said, well, why not? He said, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's the true Son of God. And they started going back and forth. Then it started to get a little bit heated. And they cho- decided it was better. And they might want to continue and move on, causing a scene right there and the hub of all that was going on there. 
But I said that to say that this, these things are real in the world that we live in today. Yes. You know, sometimes here we are in our third world, or our first world problem, excuse me, and we forget here in the United States of America when we have this freedom and this liberty to worship yes. how we choose, when we choose, and whom we choose. Two hundred and forty years ago, there was a declaration that was made. The flag didn't look like this at the time. But this is our symbol of our freedom in the United States. And I'm grateful for that. I never had the privilege of serving our country in the military, but that doesn't make me any less patriotic. And I'm grateful for this country. I love this country. And I feel sorry for the people that tread and burn our flag, our symbol of freedom. They're spitting in the face of those that gave their lives so that we could wave it with liberty and freedom. My thought is always, if you hate this country so much, Canada's not too far from here. They'll take you, they'll take you willingly. No problem. That would have been funnier if Josh was here today. <laughs> if the sun sets free, it's free indeed. You know, we read, we're not going to speak of this today, but we're going to talk about it anyway. We read in where Paul is held in chains and begins to sing praise and worship to our God in the middle of the night. There's freedom that comes in worship. Your life can be bound. Your mind can be bound and constricted and feel like you're oppressed, but there's liberty, a liberation in worshiping our king. So here we have Paul is physically bound, shackled. And even in that, the darkness of night and the darkness of this prison cell, this wasn't like the prison that we see today. They didn't have cable TV. These are dirt holes they throw you in those just to forget about you so even in the midst of his despair and his bondage he began to worship <clears throat> I kind of just see that in his mind he said Lord I can't lift my hands but to you I surrender his spirit man, his physical man may have been shackled, but his spirit man was saying, thank you, Lord. But we know the story as he worshipped that his shackles fell off, that the prison's door swung open, and he was free because the son had set him free.
We know that he didn't leave because the jailer was getting ready to kill himself. And once again, we're not talking about that today, but the Lord is, so we're going to continue with it. He told, don't cause any harm to yourself. He began to share with him, and he and his household came to the Lord. But I bring that up because it was, would have been ridiculous for Paul's shackles to fall off, for the door to swing open, for him to walk up to the door, slam it shut, go sit back down, and put on his shackles again. We would never do that. If we are imprisoned, we wouldn't, if we were getting free, miraculously, we would never slam the door shut and put our shackles back on. But how many times does the Lord deliver us from something that we've been believing for? And he delivers us. And we walk in that freedom for a day, a week, a month, maybe even years, only to turn around, to walk right back into that prison cell, slam the door shut, and put on our shackles ourselves. We choose not to walk in the freedom that has been provided for us. How is that any worse than those who burn and trample on our flag? It's no different. It was, it was freedom that was given to us, yet we choose to go back to our bondage. Maybe it was comfortable. Maybe we were in it for so long we didn't know any other way. But we chose to go back anyway. You're free indeed when he set you free. Don't return. June 7th, 1776. The Continental Congress met in that time what was called the Pennsylvania State House, later called Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Richard Henry Lee of Virginia introduced a motion calling for the colonies independence from Great Britain. Amid a heated debate, Congress postponed the vote but appointed five men as a committee composed of Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Roger Sherman, Benjamin Franklin, and Robert Livingston to draft a formal statement justifying why we should break from them. On July 2nd, the Continental Congress voted in favor of Lee's resolution for independence in a near-unanimous vote. Two days later, on July 4th, 1776, the Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence. 240 years ago, yesterday, or tomorrow. Interestingly enough, do you know that John Adams refused to participate in any celebrations on the 4th of July? Because he went home and told his wife, on July 2nd, we as a nation have united and declared our independence. So in his mind, when that, when that paper was signed, they wanted, he wanted that to be recognized, and he wanted that to be the time established as their independence day. But because it was ratified two days later, he chose not to. Also interesting, has nothing to do with what we're talking about, we are talking about independence that both he, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson died 50 years later on the 4th of July. Pretty interesting. 
But that is what we celebrate this weekend. Our freedom, our independence. It's a national holiday. The 4th of July, we call it. Independence Day. They wanted liberty from the oppression of King George III. But what they didn't put in the Declaration of Independence, which I read every word, there was nothing in there about how true liberty and true freedom can only be achieved in Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is not our nation's freedom, but the liberty that we can get in Jesus. We all know that in Luke 4, Jesus stood... It was on the Sabbath, and he was at the temple, and he stood, and they handed him the book, and he opened it up, and he began to read. I want to turn back to Isaiah 61 and look at the original passage that he, quote, that he read from there. So turn with me to Isaiah 61, verse 1. Jesus speaks in Luke 4, verse 18, but he's quoting directly from here. And Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord. Aren't you so grateful for his Spirit? Lead, guides, and comforts. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach. The, uh, the thought here is just like when Aaron was anointed and they poured that anointing oil on his head and it ran down, it says, upon his beard and to the skirt of his garment. You know, when sometimes when you come forward for prayer, pastor will anoint you with oil, which is scriptural. But, we, you know, he puts a little bit on his finger and he puts it on his forehead, or excuse me, on your forehead as he's praying for you. Can you imagine if you came forward for prayer? I don't know anybody would. If we were to have this huge vat of oil and poured it all over your head, came all the way down. But that's what the picture is here, right? This oil is symbolic of that anointing, the anointing that can break every yoke, you can feel that anointing pouring down your head. Yeah. Women, not your beards, hopefully. <laughs> Even onto the skirt of your garment, which means the bottom portion of your garment. The hem. So it wasn't like they just put a little dab and said, okay, we anoint you as priest. But it was an event. It was symbolic of how the, the Lord would be covering him his entire being. That's why they did that, where they poured it all over him. Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach. His anointing is not just a small touch. It is something that consumes you, just like that oil did for Aaron. Continue reading here. He has anointed me to preach good tidings, which is the good news that he is victorious. 
We're not bringing, not anointed to bring bad news or just, hey, by the way, it's going to be rough. No, he's bringing good tidings. To who? To the poor. Now, this isn't a financial word here. It is actually where it means meek, poor in spirit, humble. He's bringing good tidings to the humble, those that are open to receive from him, not those that are walking around saying, I don't need the Lord, I'm good in my own strength, I have this, I have position, I have power, I'm smart enough on my own, I don't need to be reliant on a supreme being in order to take care of me. But he came to preach good tidings to the meek, those that are free from retaliation. He has sent me, continuing here, to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You can see the word picture now, how that fits in with Paul. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That acceptable year speaks of a year of jubilee. We know that there were seven Sabbath years, and every seven, seven, so every seven Sabbath years, there would be a year of jubilee. Seven times seven, forty-nine. That fiftieth year would be a year of jubilee. If you had any debt, it was wiped out. All the land that was taken from you during those previous years was restored back to the original owner. Year of Jubilee. It was a cause of great celebration. This is that acceptable year of the Lord that Jesus is speaking of here. And he actually stops quoting right at that point. But I want to go back to a second, opening the eyes, or opening of the prison, those that are bound. As a nation, we are tremendously under deception. A lie of the enemy. And the biggest lie that the enemy tells us is there's still time. You have time. Don't worry about serving the Lord today. There's still time. Don't worry about entrusting your children into the hands of the Lord. There, there's still time. You can do that later. Don't worry about humbling yourself before the Lord. There's still time. Don't worry about dying to yourself and crucifying your flesh and walking in the sanctification of the Lord. There's time for that later on. Kids, don't worry about serving the Lord today. You can do that when you get married. And then all of a sudden you find yourself getting married and then you're going to feel pressure from all those around you just so you know. Dad, well, you're married. You might as well have some kids now. I mean, you've been married for like five minutes. What are you waiting for? It's time to have kids. Well, now, you know what? Now you're busy with your kids, Josh. So there's time. Just wait till the kids are grown and gone out of the house. There's still time time you're young then all of a sudden we find ourselves 50 something 60 years old for some even 70 and the kids are still living at home boomerang 
And all of a sudden we realize we missed all that time. Because we believe that deception of the enemy, that there's time. Unfortunately, some of us never realize our time. And tomorrow never comes. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We talked about Jubilee. Continuing on here in Isaiah 61, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isn't it so great that we have this Holy Spirit that knows right where we are in every situation that we're in, and when we are in mourning, that He's right there beside to comfort You have a promise. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. To comfort all who mourn, console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Now, when people were in mourning, they would dress in two things. What were they called? Sackcloth and ashes. Okay, good. So sackcloth was like a dreary, ragtag, burlap-looking-like thing. I feel like I got something on my chin. Won't go away. Burlap looking like something you would not go to a wedding in, right? And they would take, that would be a sign that they're in mourning, and they would take burnt ashes and they would put them over their head. The reason for this is they wanted to feel as low as they possibly could and look as unappealing as they could as well. So in mourning, they would wear sackcloth and ashes. So what it says here is he's given us, right here in three, to give them beauty for their ashes. That beauty is representative of a beautiful headdress, kind of like a veil that a woman would wear for her wedding. So he's taken your sackcloth and your ashes, those garments that you wear when you're being mourned, when you're mourning, and he's given you a headdress of a bride. Most of the weddings that I've been to have been a bit of a celebration. So he's taking you from mourning to celebration. The oil of joy for mourning we see continuing here. A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Exchanging that sackcloth for a garment of praise. Once again, just like Paul. Here he is. His spirit was heavy. Trust me. Sitting there in, in jail not knowing whether he is going to die there or not. There are times when his spirit was heavy, but he chose to worship instead. Even in his situation, he chose to exalt the Lord, and the Lord gave him a garment of praise. We sing a song I'm going to put on my beautiful garment of praise. Dance before my king. It's only by his spirit that we have the ability to do that because we're going through situations. I get it. In this life you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He's already overcome. Garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that who he might be 
glorified. Look at trees of righteousness for a second. A tree of righteousness represents a strong tree that has endured storms. That when the wind blows, it doesn't go all over the place as opposed to like a blade of grass that is just going to follow or, or wheat or whatever you see, any type of, of um, plant or whatever it might be, that whenever the wind blows, it just go, you know, with the, with the wind. Whereas trees stand firm when the storms of life are coming. That's what this tree of righteousness looks like. Their world is not rocked. I want you to flip back to Exodus 14 with me. We see here, you know that I love talking about the children of Israel. We see here it's right after they just left Egypt and they've come up to the Red Sea and they have a natural barrier that they've come up against. They can't go on further in their walk. Are you hearing me? So they've come to a place where they're in their, walking in their deliverance and they've come to a place, a hard time, a challenge. They're facing insurmountable odds. How can we possibly, there's a massive sea in front of us. What are we supposed to do? They turn around and they can hear the roar of the chariots. Because Pharaoh said, wait a second. I let all these millions of people go. That was free labor for me. I want them back. So we have nothing but death behind us. And in front of us we have something we cannot pass. So they begin to complain to Moses. Here in chapter 14. Verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that you told you to Egypt, saying, Let us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than they, that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, when you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So we see them, they're saying here, were there no graves in Egypt? Leave us alone, Moses, so we can serve in our bondage. We want to go back to that. Even though we are crying out to leave, we forgot how bad it was. We want to go back. We'd rather return back to our shackles. We'd rather return back there because if I'm going out here, I have to stand still, not work it all up in my own strength, not figure everything out myself because in my eyes, I feel like there is nothing else, nothing good is going to come out of this. I have an impassable object here. I have an army that's coming to attack me over here. I can, there is no escape that I can see. 
So why didn't you just leave us alone? Let us return back to our, and say we're sorry. We'll go back. We'll go back to Pharaoh and repent. We'll go back to our old bondage. So Moses says, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. I love how he says, which he will accomplish for you today. Many times you may have stepped out in faith in doing something. Whatever it might be, whether it be a new job or the Lord's asked you to increase your giving or you're helping to support something or you are believing and praying for something. Maybe you, you're something physical going on in your life and, and the Lord has told you, I don't want you taking medication. I want you to trust me. Or I don't want you to rely on doctors. I want you to, to trust in the, the divine healer. Or whatever it might be, you know situations in your life. There may be one of your children that has gone way, a wayward way. And you're feeling, what can I do? I've said all that I know how to say. I can't counsel them anymore. All I feel like I'm doing is driving them away. You're standing in front of the Red Sea. Something that is uncrossable. It's not like it was a little puddle. It wasn't a two-inch river that was only four feet wide. And here we have an entire army with chariots chasing us down. So we've stepped out in faith. We've stepped out of the, into the freedom and liberty the Lord has provided. And then all of a sudden we come and we're faced with a challenge. And we start to say, huh, at least I knew what was going to happen over there. At least I knew what my bondage would give me. At least I know when I was tied up, when I was bound, at least I knew what to expect. I'm not comfortable in this area. I'm not comfortable stepping out and all of a sudden I'm facing something and I don't know what to do now. And my bondage is pursuing me. It's chasing after me. It wants me to come back. But here I am. Thanks a lot, Moses. Appreciate it. Stand still. Don't work. Figure it out yourself. But stand still and see the salvation of our God, of your God. The Lord will fight for you, and you. Shh. Shh. Just be quiet. Hold your peace. The Lord's going to fight for you. Don't try to figure it out. That's faith. We see here in verse 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind at the all night and made the sea into dry land. Why is that important? When they crossed, it was dry land. What do we know what happened to Pharaoh and his army when they tried to cross? What happened to their wheels? They fell out because they got stuck in dry land? Because it was sandy beach? No, because it was muddy and murky. So in the time, not only did the waters roll back, but it was dry land that they were walking across, so they weren't having to step in mud and pull it out saw a video the other day in India 
It was so hot that it was melting the asphalt. People were trying to cross the road. They had on their sandals or whatever, and they would pull their foot up, and their foot would come out of their sandal, and they were, like, hopping around because it's too hot for them to even stand on it. So they were, like, trying to pull it up, and cars were coming. You know, it's, they were frantic. It was crazy. Can you imagine, though, walking through the murkiness and the mud underneath the Red Sea? But it says they walked across on dry land. Not only did it supernaturally push this water back, something that has never been done, but also now this murky mud is dry land. They walked across with no problem. But all of a sudden, right when Pharaoh and his, his army comes across right behind them, now all of a sudden it's so murky that their wheels are falling off. They're getting stuck. They can't even traverse through it. Can you imagine the miraculous things that were going on here, the things that they saw with their own eyes? Why? Because they stood and saw the salvation of their God. Their natural reaction would have been, we need to swim. I need to do this myself. They said, stand still. The purpose of all these things that we just read, the very last second half of the verse there in, in verse 3, that he may be glorified. We're standing still to see the salvation of our God. Not, yeah, we, our faith is increased. Yeah, we are delivered. Yes, we continue to, to move on in our walk with the Lord, but ultimately, I've got news for you. It's for his glory that he may be glorified. Yes, it increased your faith, but it, once again, it allows him to be glorified in your life. So the next time when you face the Red Sea, it's like, I've already been here. I know what's going to happen next. No big deal. That he receives all the glory and all the honor. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. Freedom. So can you see the importance of an allowing the Holy Spirit to function in your life? Liberty not bound by those things that you struggle with. It doesn't say where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is struggle. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty that only He can give. Let's flip back to John verse 8, or chapter 8, excuse me. John 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. 
So let's look at this here. Let's break this down. If you abide in my word, keep your face in the book, and you're my disciples, what's a disciple? Follower. So not only are we abiding, we're not just opening the book, but we are consuming it. We're asking the Spirit to open His Word to us. We're not just reading a verse a day, get, this is my daily bread. But we are asking the Holy Spirit to open, reveal His Word. And I want to encourage you again, we talked about it when we talked about being hungry. It's not about checking off a box and saying, I read my chapter of this today. It is about spending time with the Lord and saying, Lord, open your Word. It can be a half a verse that you study for a month. And that's okay. Because if that's something that goes into your life, it's more time well spent than reading the entire thing and not, and not figuring out an entire, a single word of what you just read. I would rather you spend an entire year in a verse than reading through the Bible in a whole year. That's always a big thing that people talk about. I read through the Bible in a whole year. I've done that four times. Okay, what does it say? Well, I read through the Bible. I read through it. Okay, so tell me. What part spoke to you the most? Spoke to me. I read my four chapters in my psalm and my proverb. Okay. Abide in my word. You are my disciples, indeed, and you shall know the truth. If you don't abide in the word, if you work this backwards. You ever seen those things, if you were to play a movie backwards? They're talking about, you know, it's like at the end, and if you work it backwards, it ends up being this and tells a story. Same thing here. If we want to be free, we have to have the truth. How do we know the truth? By being a follower of Jesus. How do we become a follower of Jesus? Abiding in the Word. Is there anybody in here, by a show of hands, that would prefer, freedom's really not for you. You say, Pastor Clark, that's not really my thing. Not into it. I would rather be bound for the rest of my life. So by no hands going up, I'm assuming then that you, in turn, would prefer to have freedom, to walk in the freedom of the Holy Ghost and the freedom of whatever it is that binds you. So how do we do that? If we work it backwards, we abide in His Word. That's encouraging. That's encouraging to me. It's not, that means it's not hard. That's not, I don't have to know a special formula. There's freedom out there, but you're never going to know how to find it. <laughs> no. It's so simple that we make it so difficult at times. So here he does. He's, he breaks us down to them in the most simple way he can. He said, the truth shall make you free, and their response is mind-boggling. Now notice here, in verse 31, he says, And Jesus said to those Jews who did what? Believed. So these are, not, these are those that have already believed, mind you. Okay? This isn't just some random people that he walked up. These aren't Pharisees or Sadducees that he's arguing with, or arguing with him. These are Jews that have believed. Verse 33. After he says, Truth shall make you free. Then answered him, they answered him, excuse me, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage. What are you reading? How, how's that even possible for you to say that with a straight face? I can imagine Jesus doing like, huh? 
We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Once again, this is an example of not rehearsing the goodness of the Lord to the next generation. That is on us. If Jonah doesn't know the goodness of the Lord, that's on you. Because you're not rehearsing it in his ears. If Micah doesn't know the goodness of the Lord, that's on you guys. Because you're not rehearsing the goodness of the Lord in their ears. And you guys could say, I go through every single parent here and say the same exact thing. And it was on our parents. You may be first generation Christian. So it's your responsibility to rehearse the goodness of the Lord. Otherwise, they are destined to forget and destined to repeat the things that we have. Jesus answered them and said, so patient, so patient. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, ye shall be free indeed. In another passage, it talks about, instead of being a slave to sin, be a slave to righteousness. I think that's such a beautiful picture. If I have to be a slave to something, let it be righteousness. I'm so enslaved. I'm under the bondage of righteousness. I have to do what is commanded of me from righteousness. He is the king of righteousness. So therefore, I have to do what my king says. I have to follow his precepts. I have to follow his words. Why? Because I'm a slave to righteousness instead of being a slave to sin. One thing I do want to point out that I forgot. It says, you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Who is the truth, by the way? How do we know that? What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's in John 14. Truth shall make you free. So if I can, do you think that grammatically it would be wrong? So if, it, if Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, so Jesus is synonymous with the truth, yes? Okay. So if we were to take Jesus, and, and this is not taken away from Scripture, would you agree? It says, if you abide my word and you are my disciples indeed, you shall know me, and I will make you free. Yes? That's truth. That's where the true liberty, if you remember the very first thing I said, the only time you truly, truly experience liberty and freedom in your life is when you know the true Jesus. That is the only way. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. You shall know me, and I will make you free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Therefore, in verse 36, the Son makes you free, shall be free indeed. That word in free means truly or a point of fact. The antonym or the opposite of it is what is pretend, uh, pretended, fictitious, or false. You're free indeed. 
It's a statement of fact. It's not, I think you might be, or uh, I sort of, we're going to pretend that you are, or fictitiously, we're going to kind of just, you know, hope that you are. But it's indeed, it's a fact. The sun makes you free. You're factually free. I love that. What are we free from? Freedom from depression. Freedom from doubt. Freedom from torment. Freedom from negativity. Freedom from defeat. Freedom from the chains that bind you. Freedom from despair. Freedom from darkness. And the list could go on. But let's look at it. What are we free to do? Not only are we freed from these bad things, but what is this free? Now that we're free, what are we able and liberated to be able to do? Free to serve. Freedom to walk in victory. Freedom to trust. Freedom to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Freedom to love others. Freedom to live in peace. Freedom to have joy in our heart. Regardless of situation going on, we still have his joy. Not dependent on circumstance. Freedom to have joy. And finally, freedom to dwell in righteousness. When we're free from all those things, it allows us to have the freedom to walk and be a slave to his righteousness. Lord, we're so grateful for the banner of freedom that we fly in our country. But we're more grateful for the banner of love and the freedom it provides that flies over us as your people. Because this banner over me is love. So grateful for his love and his liberty today. Is that something you desire? If you desire to walk in his freedom and his liberty, stand with me. Lord, we're so grateful today. As we see those that are standing, Lord, we ask that you would just grant that, O oh God, that they would walk in your liberty. Lord, they abide in you. Seek your word. Seek your face. That you set them free. Lord, you're speaking to their heart even now those things that may be binding them. Lord, we ask that you come even right now in Jesus' mighty name and you bring liberty to that. You bring liberty to the captive and you set us free, O oh God. So, Lord, we choose to walk in that freedom and we won't go back and pick it up, that bondage. So grateful for your word. So grateful for your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for your attention today.